Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church around the world celebrates the very first weekend of the season of Lent. And Lent is a time for us to get back to the basics of prayer, penance, fasting, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Now, this is not uncommon. Take, for example, professional sports, say the NFL. The NFL every year has a preseason in which the teams and the players get back to the basics before they start the regular league. And so, for example, the Green Bay Packers, they need a time to get back to the basics. Now, given the fact that these players have played professional football for years, they still need time to basically get back to the fundamentals of the game before they begin their regular season. And so the offensive linemen, they learn again the three-point stance. The wide receivers learn again the routes they have to run. Aaron Rodgers basically it learns again the timing with the receivers. So it's a way and for them to get back to the fundamentals of the game. Well, we should apply that same concept in the spiritual life. And that's what Lent is all about. For us to get back to the basics of the spiritual life. Prayer, fasting, abstinence, penance. Now, if you look at the readings for this weekend, they're perfect. Notice the first reading from Genesis, the story of creation. Now, I think this is one of the most fascinating stories in all of sacred scripture. Why? Because it tells us most about the elemental truths of human nature. Notice how it begins. The Lord God formed man out of the clay of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and so man became a living being. See, this proves God truly is the source of all life, and God wants us to have life and life in abundance. Notice, too, Adam and Eve, when they spring into being, essentially, they live in a garden. Now, that's very intentional. They don't live in a house. They don't live in a mansion. They don't live in a ranch. No, they live specifically in a garden. Why is that? Because a garden is a source and symbol of life. You know, in a few months, it will be summertime. And when you walk into a garden, you see nothing but life. You see flowers and fruits and vegetables and plants. Well, God intended for Adam and Eve to live in a garden, to live in a place that was full of life. Now, notice God's command for Adam and Eve. He tells them that they can eat anything, anything in the entire garden, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God has given Adam and Eve, dominion over the garden. Now, the early church fathers saw this as God wanting us to engage the world. Not to back off from the world, but instead to engage the world. Engage math and science and art and architecture and music, because all those things make our life rich. Now, the prohibition. 
They cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, did you pick up that little detail? Where is that tree? Well, the tree is at the very center of the garden. Again, that's very intentional by God. Why? Because in order for us to flourish, we must know the difference between good and evil. Now, remember last week's gospel. Jesus taught us that we must make God the center of our life. Well, if we truly do, then we allow God to be the sole arbiter, the sole determinant of what is morally good and evil in this world. And therefore, we accept it because God has determined just that. And so, that's a powerful lesson for us all. You know, if God truly is at the center of our life, as he is the center of the garden, then he is the sole arbiter of everything that is good and evil in this world. See, when that happens, then our moral compass always points to Jesus Christ. And then our life truly will flourish. What's the problem with Adam and Eve? Well, they don't believe that. Instead, they listen to the serpent, the devil. The devil dupes them. He says to them, The reason why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree, because if you do, you will become gods yourself. And God doesn't want that. He's jealous of you. He sees you as a rival. Therefore, he wants to keep you down. Well, Adam and Eve fall for it. And they succumb to the temptation. They no longer want to follow the will of God. They want to follow their own will. And they want to be gods themselves. So in that act of reaching out for that fruit, they are telling God they no longer want to follow God's will and they are going to be the sole arbiter of what is morally good and evil in this world rather than God. Now, that attitude is so very prevalent in our culture in this day and age where people say, I don't need the church and I don't need God to tell me what is morally good and evil. I can do that on my own. Now, this attitude is referred to as moral relativism in which the individual believes they are the sole arbiter of what is morally good and evil in this world. Now, this is very, very dangerous. Why? Because it's all relative. What I, as an individual, determine what is morally good and evil is different from one person and another and another, to the extent that I can justify any action at all. I can justify stealing. I can justify killing or abortion. I can justify how I treat my body with drugs or alcohol. It's all relative to me, as it is relative to you and another person. And see, that's what is so dangerous. What must we do? Surrender to God. Allow God to be the center of our life, just like that tree was at the center of the garden. And in doing so, we allow God to determine for us what is morally good. And then we follow that teaching. Our moral compass then points to Jesus Christ. And then we truly are fully alive. Now, that's a beautiful segue into the gospel. Notice what's happening here. The devil is present and he's doing the same thing. He's tempting. In this case, it's, he's tempting Jesus Christ. Now, we can learn from Jesus how to face temptation, but also how to succeed and overcome the temptations in our life. Now, notice how the gospel begins. It said, Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, fled into the desert to do battle with the devil. Now, notice that key word. 
He was led by the Holy Spirit, which means he is doing the Father's will. He's not doing his own will. Jesus did not get up one day and say, hey, I'm going to go out in the desert and battle the devil. No, he's doing expressly the will of the Father. Well, stop right there. Here you see Jesus now stopping the momentum of sin that Adam and Eve created. Go back to the first reading. Adam and Eve, first they rejected doing God's will. They wanted to do their own will. And in doing so, they succumbed to the temptation of the devil. And then original sin was ushered into this world. And from that moment forward, you see that momentum of sin carry forward throughout the entire Old Testament until Jesus Christ, until this event in which he first fled into the desert, led by the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus stops that momentum of sin and now begins the reversal. He reverses the momentum by defeating every temptation. Unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus now defeats all the temptations that the devil gives him. And now Jesus reverses that momentum of sin that Adam and Eve created. In fact, Jesus, he will culminate that reversal of that momentum of sin when he climbs upon the cross. And this is why the story of creation and the story of Jesus being tempted by the devil tie together so beautifully and make so much sense when read together. Now let's look at these temptations. The first temptation is to satisfy the basic bodily desires. Now realize, Jesus is fasting in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Now that's not easy. I'm sure many of us have fasted for blood work, and so we know how painful that can be. And realize, Jesus had our human nature. So he knows how difficult that may be. The temptation to satisfy our basic bodily desires of food, drink, and entertainment. Now, I always say, we are Catholics. We're not Puritans. It's okay for us to enjoy eating and drinking and entertainment. They're all gifts from God. We should enjoy them. But the moment that they become the center of our life, then we're in big trouble. Why? Because our whole life will be wrapped around satisfying those basic desires. Instead, as Catholics, our first desire should always be for God and doing God's will. That should be the central organizing desire in our life. That's why Jesus says, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Now, look at the lives of the saints. The saints' lives were anything but pleasurable. But their first desire and their central desire was always to do the will of God. It should be for us. Let's go to the second temptation. That's the temptation of the ego. To allow our ego to be more important than following the will of God. Now, that's the sin of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve basically said to God, I am the Lord of my life, not you, God. Now, that is at the heart of sin. At the heart of sin is the person that says what? My life is about me, my wants, my desires, my pleasures. And everything else in this world and everyone else in this world is secondary to me. Well, at the heart of the spiritual life is the person that says just the opposite. My life is not about me. Instead, my life is about me in relationship to God. 
and living out that relationship and my faith in God each and every day of our life. So that's how we essentially overcome that temptation. Finally, the third temptation. Now, if you stop and look, these temptations, they build up in degrees of temptation. The first one is minor. The second one is mild. The third one is probably the greatest and the hardest. It's the temptation of power and control. St. Augustine referred to it as the libido dominante, the lust to dominate. Now, we see this in world history. Caesar, Napoleon, Pol Pot, Hitler, Stalin. We see it now in Putin. These are people who were seduced by this temptation. They were relentless in their quest for power. And then they were very ruthless in holding on to it. They didn't care who or what they destroyed or thousands or even millions of people that they killed. Now, it's easier to see it at a world level. But take it down to a local level. Maybe we work with people like this. Always need to be in control. Always need to be controlling others. Or maybe socially. Maybe we go out with friends or maybe people in the neighborhood. And the conversation always has to be around them. Or they must be dominating the conversation. Well, St. Thomas Aquinas said, The one way to resist this temptation, seek always the good. The good being the will of God. And so, as we begin this great season of Lent, it's a time for us to get back to the basics. Abstinence, prayer, penance, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. It's also a time to have courage, to look deep within ourselves, to ensure that God truly is at the center of our life. And if God truly is at the center of our life, then our moral compass will always point to Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we truly will have life and life in abundance. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.